Well, this Saturday will mark 10 years since the launch of Exponential Church, and I want to invite you to come back and be with us next week as we celebrate that. But this Tuesday actually represents 10 years that something else major happened here in the world, and that was the rescue of the uh, miners, the 33 miners down in Chile that had gotten trapped. How many of you remember the story that I'm talking about? Yeah, this Tuesday will be 10 years since their actual rescue. And for those of you that may not remember the story, basically what had happened was a uh, rock, basically two times the size of the Empire State Building, collapsed into the mine, trapping these 33 miners 2,200 feet below ground. They had very limited light. They had very limited food. In fact, only three days' worth of food was there. And their odds of survival were placed at less than 1%. It was just not a, a good situation at all. And if you remember the, the, the story, it just became this sort of worldwide phenomenon as people were sort of uh, uh, watching this whole thing. Are, will they be rescued or not? Now, they weren't sure if anybody was actually trying to rescue them because they knew that the owner of the mine, he was not the nicest of guys, basically. And in other mines he had had when there had been collapses, he had just sort of written the whole thing off as a business expense, including the lives of different miners. So they, they just assume that they're trapped underground, 2,200 feet there, that they're going to die, that there's no possible way that they're going to be able to survive all this. Now, in his book, Deep Down Dark, uh, a guy by the name of Tobar or Hector Tabar, he writes that something strange began to happen as they were trapped there underground. One of the men who was a follower of Jesus, his name was Jose Henriquez, he was a follower and he decides that he wants to pray for the guys. And so he says, is it okay if I pray? And they're like, yes. And so he gets down on his knees the other 32 miners, they just assume, well, that's what you're supposed to do. So they all get down on their knees as well. And he begins to pray. And how he starts out the prayer was quite unusual. He says this, I quote, We aren't the best of men, but Lord, please have pity on us. Again, that's an odd way to start a prayer. But the men were not offended. And so as he's praying for them, he actually starts to pray by name for each one of his coworkers. And he starts to pray about specific things he knew that was going on in their lives, including some, some bad things. But again, they weren't offended by this. And so after this prayer is done, they, they were so into it, they said, we, we should continue to do this. We need to do this again. And they were like, could you like tell us some stories from the Bible? And so he starts cracking open Scripture and just a little bit of the headlamps, you know, and the little bit of light that they have, he starts to, to teach God's Word to them. And they're really getting into it. And each day as they would get together and they, would, they were rationing, again, only three days' worth of food, they would take the little bit of tuna that they had or the little bit of crackers they had. They had some oily water. And that was their meal. But they were actually using it as communion. They were sharing the Lord's table with one another. Again, every day they, they continued to ask him, would you teach God's word to us? In fact, they started to call him Pastor Jose. He, he wasn't ordained or anything, but they were like, this is the man of God, and, and he's teaching them God's word. And when they would get together at those, those dinners, the, the 33, they started to have more and more spiritual conversations with one another, and they started to open their lives to each other. They started to confess their sins one to another. 
One guy said, man, I've got a terrible temper, really bad anger, and I've been abusive to people in my past. Another guy started to open up, and he was talking about how he was a, a bad dad at home, and that if somehow they got rescued, he was going to be a better father. Another guy opened up and started talking about the affair he was having with his wife. And in fact, if you remember the news reports, the mistress was showing up at the, <laughs> at the site, and there was this big uh, argument between the wife and the mistress of, you know, who really loves this guy? But he's underground there, and he's confessing this to the rest of the guys, that I've been cheating on my wife. And so this, like, little fellowship, <laughs> a little church has gotten started there in the deep down dark. And it's just this amazing thing. They start to confess to one another about how they've mistreated each other, you know, that, hey, I apologize to you for how I've treated you in the past, or I apologize for what I said to you in the past. Man, that one time you asked me to help, and I told you I couldn't help you. Man, I apologize for that. One of the guys was not a native of Chile. He was from Bolivia. And they had, like, treated him so horribly. And they began to apologize that we've been judgmental of you and your beliefs and who you are. And so it's just this amazing, amazing little experience that they're having in the deep down dark. Meanwhile, up on the the surface, a rescue effort was underway. And the initial team that had started, because eventually it became like three different teams from around the world, including a team from the U.S. that were trying to, to get to these guys because it was just such a, a tremendous uh, task that they had. It was almost impossible to get to these guys. But the, the initial team, it was eight guys from Chile that they're going to be drilling down in. But before they start to drill, the, the foreman, he says, maybe we should pray. And another guy says, yeah, let's all hold hands. <laughs> so here's these big you know, burly construction, you know, type of guys, their hard hats on and they're, they're holding hands. And one of the guys in the prayer, he says, let's all just put our trust in the skinny guy. And of course, who they were talking about was Jesus. Jesus, the skinny guy who had died on the cross. And so this, again, rescue effort began. I'll just sort of summarize what happens if you remember the, the story, the initial drill that they were able to get into the actual mine was very, very small. It was just big enough that they could drop down some supplies like food and water. <laughs> they actually dropped down an iPad for them and a line of communication so that they could communicate with the people up top. Now, what they knew was that it was actually going to take six to eight weeks to be able to drill a hole big enough to actually get a human body out of, of, the, of the mine. But yet something changed for these guys. I mean, they, they were excited because, you know, they were getting supplies and they had communication, but, but something changed for them. Even though that they knew they were going to be another six to eight weeks underground, they started to get a, a little bit of a big head about themselves because they heard that their story was now worldwide, that they were famous, and their assumption was, we're going to be rich. And so Hector Tabar in his book, Deep Down Dark, says what stopped at that moment was the Bible study. What stopped at that moment was the prayer. What stopped at that moment was the confession one to another. 
Because now all of a sudden they were driven by money and greed and fame and what's going to be in it for me. That I'm famous now and I don't need the rest of these guys anymore. And so in some ways, the happiest part of the story that that initial drill got through to them is also the saddest part of the story because they lost this fellowship, this community that they had there in the deep down dark. They were actually best when life was hardest. They were at their very best in the deep down dark. Now, I share all that with you because we are continuing this series called Reset Today. In fact, this is the, the last of it. It's only a short little two-part uh, series that we're doing. And I, I share with you last week that, you know, one of the, the things that has happened with this whole pandemic is it's now become a dual pandemic. Yes, we still have the pandemic of the virus, but now we also have this pandemic of isolation and of loneliness. And it's impacting people in major ways. I shared some of the statistics with you last week of just how mentally and emotionally just, it's just this major, major thing that's having devastating effects on people, not just in America, but people all around the world as well. There's this pandemic of isolation, and it's really, really hurting us in, in major ways. In some ways, we've felt over these past six to eight months now, like the miners, you know, that we've felt sort of trapped in our own homes. The, the darkness of life has sort of come in on us, and we don't know how to escape. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at, well, what are some of the things that we can learn from those Chilean miners? What were some of the positive things that they did as they were in their own darkness? And then what are some of the mistakes that they made? And what can we learn from all that? And so last week I shared with you that God has designed all of us for relationships. A relationship with, with Him and a relationship with each other. And, and not just a, a casual relationship either. Not just a, hey, how you doing? Oh, good to see you, you know, and news, weather, and sport. Not that kind of thing. But we talked about a, a Greek word. How many of you remember what the Greek word is? It starts with the letter K. Anybody remember? Yeah, I heard somebody shout it out. Yeah, koinonia. Koinonia, it's this, this deep intimacy, this, this connection that you have. Now, you can't have koinonia with everybody. Even in a small church like ours, you can't be in a koinonia relationship with everybody. But you should have three, five, six, eight, ten people that you have this very authentic relationship where there's absolutely nothing that is hidden from one another. And again, God wants koinonia with, with him. There shouldn't be anything you're hiding from God. And then you should have a, a small group of people that there's nothing you hide from them either. All of us need this. All of us were designed for that. And so today I want to continue to talk about what is koinonia and some of the practical sides of it as well. So if you're taking notes, the first thing is this. Koinonia, or again, it can be translated as the word community is not an option that I'm allowed to neglect as a follower of Jesus. You know, in our day and time, we are more networked than we've ever been before. Between Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, I mean, you have connections. You have a lot of quote-unquote friends. But do we really? 
You know, even before COVID-19 hit, we already had sort of a, a pandemic of isolation that was coming on. In fact, many years ago, Mother Teresa actually said that loneliness is the leprosy of our day and our time. And, you know, isolation and loneliness, it impacts you not just spiritually like we talked about last week, but it impacts you even physically. There are physical things that you're going to suffer without true koinonia in your life. In fact, did you know that people who have bad health habits like smoking or overeating or overdrinking, but yet who are socially connected deeply to other people, actually live longer than people that have great health habits like diet and exercise, but yet are more socially isolated? Did you know that? I mean, studies have been done that have proven this. Which means it's better to eat chocolate cake together with great friends than it is to eat Brussels sprouts all by yourself. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Online, can I get an amen? But in the chat there, let's hear it. Amen, right? We'd rather have chocolate cake with some great friends than Brussels sprouts all alone. There's one in every crowd. And for those that didn't hear it online, we have one weird person that said they love Brussels sprouts. All right, Zach, we don't need to hear it from it. We're not getting a thing going here. It's, yeah. We're not going to be that Brussels sprout church. In fact, uh, let, let me... Let me, re, uh, let me just uh, make an announcement. Uh, Bethesda Mission, who uh, helps the, the poor and the homeless in, in downtown, they have once again this year asked us to be the mashed potato church. So uh, start collecting all your boxes of mashed potatoes and everything. Start bringing them in, and we'll be giving those away for Thanksgiving and for uh, Christmas to help them uh, out. So we're, we're, we're the mashed potato church, not the Brussels sprout church. <laughs> Back to my point. <laughs> Another study found that people um, that had volunteered to go in and be infected by the common cold, that they were given the flu, they were four times faster to recover if they were in a, beforehand, they were in a uh, great social relationships with people than people who had been socially isolated. In fact, they were twice as likely not to get reinfected if they had previously been in uh, close social relationships with people. One other thing, and I'm not sure how they measure this exactly, but they found out that socially friendly people produce less mucus during a cold than unfriendly people, which the point being unfriendly people are snotty people, all right? So it is, <laughs> I mean, now it's scientifically proven. <laughs> We, we need to be connected together with others. We need to have these deep, authentic relationships with one another. In his classic book called Bowling Alone, Robert Putnam says that if you make no other change this year in your life, and this is any year, if you make no other change than just to get deeply connected to a small group of other people, it cuts your chances of dying this year in half. Now, that study was done before something like COVID-19. I shared with you last week about, you know, suicide rates and all the various uh, health things that are going on in our country right now because of uh, COVID-19 that has nothing to do even with the virus itself. But Robert Putnam says, look, if you'll just get connected to a small group of people, cuts your chance of dying by half. 
which is why we call them here at Exponential Life Groups, because literally, get into a group or you're going to die. I mean, it's just, a, okay, maybe that's not why we call them life groups, but you get my point. Studies have been done over and over and over again that you need people that you are deeply connected with. Now, I didn't know that they were going to be here today, but uh, Eric and Alyssa, they're, they're brand new to the, the church and their, their family. Um, they just moved in from Pittsburgh, and they've, they're getting... I was going to say, let's give them a big exponential welcome, but... Uh... <laughs> They haven't been around enough to know all my little jokes about these things. But anyway, but, but they're here today, and, and they're, they're getting connected here to Exponential, and they want to get connected in the, in the life groups, and they've led some life groups before. But they brought in a, a family today that it's their life group from back home, that they've traveled in from Pittsburgh to be here today, so we welcome you and your family. But that, that's what a life group is. You're connected deeply, and it doesn't matter the, the miles that may separate you. All of us need people like that in our lives. I have people in my life. In fact, Lisa and I just had uh, great friends of ours that we've been in life groups together for, you know, basically ever since I've been a Christian, you know, 20-some-plus years. They just came in from uh, West Virginia a couple weeks ago and, and, and stayed with us, you know, for, uh, for the day. You need people like that that you're doing life deeply together with. It's just simply not an option as a follower of Jesus to neglect relationships like that. Now, I share with you that, you know, it's uh, physical things that can happen if you're not connected. Last week, we talked about the emotional side of it. But again, there are huge spiritual implications to all this as well. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. The writer says this, let us be concerned for one another, to help one another, to show love and to do good. We should not stop gathering together with other believers, as some of you are doing. I talked about that last week, right? That, all right, a third of you, you've come back. A third of you, you can't come back because of health concerns. But a third of you, you've just stopped coming just because it's become convenient to watch online. And even, even in here in, in the book of Hebrews, it's saying, don't do that. Stop neglecting the meeting of yourselves together. Instead, we must continue to encourage each other, and even more so as we see the day approaching. Now, I'm going to come back to what that means in just a little bit. But listen, when a crisis comes and you feel trapped in the cave of your own life, you're going to want a group that you're in a koinonia type of relationship with. Because all of us are going to come to those times where we feel isolated, we feel alone, we feel like we're in the dark, and you need people, people that can help to pull you out, people that are going to help to rescue you, or even people that are in the darkness with you, but you can be an encouragement to one another. And the time to form a group like that is not when you're in the midst of the crisis. The time to do it is right here and right now before a crisis hits, so that you already have those relationships built and established so that they can be there with you and for you, and you can be there with them and for them as well. Number two, in koinonia or in community, I will discover that people are messy. You know, one of the mistakes people make when they get into a life group is they think, okay, everybody in my group here is going to have it all put together. Everybody's going to be spiritually mature. They're going to be spiritually healthy. They're going to make me feel good about myself. And then you get into a group and you realize, ugh, People are messy. 
that life groups would be great if it just weren't for the people, right? And so what often happens is people go, all right, I'm out. I don't want to have anything to do with this. Life groups are just simply not for me. But you can't do that. Remember last week I shared with you that Jesus' plan was the be with plan, to, to be with him and then to be with one another. And so if you're just always constantly bailing on relationships, even if they're messy relationships, that's not being with them. That's bailing on them. And we just simply can't do that. We've got to stick with people even despite their messiness. Why should we do that? Well, because that's the model that Jesus gave for us. Think about his group that he had. Peter was impulsive. Thomas was a doubter. Judas was greedy. James and John, they were always trying to climb the ladder of success. Simon was a zealot, which meant he hated tax collectors. Matthew, he was a tax collector, which meant he hated the zealots. They were constantly bickering with one another about who they were. And, you know, I'm sure there was various times that each one of the disciples thought, I know why Jesus picked me, but why in the world did he pick them? I mean, they are messed up. Why would he pick somebody like that? So what I'm trying to get you to see is Jesus is teaching us here that true community doesn't happen around people who are just simply healthy and normal, right? True community doesn't happen around people that are just simply healthy and normal. If you don't believe me, just look around the room here. We're all messed up. I did a series many years ago called Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. Right? Amen, somebody says. <laughs> yeah. So we're all messed up, every single one of us. So Jesus wants us to learn to love people who are just as messed up and sinful and struggling as what we are. Uh, look at Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Paul says this. Do what? He says to, what's the word there? Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given the glory. Now, don't get me wrong. This is hard sometimes. I, I like to call some people sandpaper people. You know what I'm talking about? They're just people that they just sort of rub you the wrong way a little bit. In life groups, we often call these people EGRs. EGR stands for extra grace required. How many of you, don't point, but how many of you, you, you know some people that, hey, when I'm around them, there's a little extra grace that's required. You know, hey, don't point up here. <laughs> EGRs, they're the person, they talk a little bit too much. They're a little bit too needy. They make the group all about themselves. You know, it's always about their problems and what's going on. You know, maybe they have some some habits that just sort of annoy you a little bit. Maybe they remind you of somebody that you don't like from your past. You know, it, 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 all of us, we have some EGRs. By the way, if you're in a life group and you've been there for, you know, three, four weeks and you haven't yet spotted the EGR, guess what? You're it! <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting about the EGR is they are the number one killer of life groups. You, you would think that the number one killer would just be like busy schedules that uh, we just weren't able to work it out to continue to meet together or, you know, doctrinal issues that, that people have with one another, theological types of things. 
The number one killer is the EGR. That just, eventually it just wears on people. But again, Jesus says we've got to be with people, even people that are messy. And so a big part of learning to love people like Jesus loved them is to just do what Jesus did. In your group, you need to love one another, pray for one another, serve one another. Jesus got down and he washed their feet. He made them feel like, you know what, I want to be with you. He made them all feel special, and he was glad when they were together. And so you and I need to learn from this model that we need to persevere through the mess. And let's face it, it was that group of 12 messy people that ended up changing the world. They persevered, and they ended up changing the world. And so we've got to persevere with our groups. Continue on, even despite the mess. Number three, in koinonia, or in community, authenticity and honesty are non-negotiable. Again, authenticity and honesty are non-negotiable. Now, I don't know if you guys saw this in the news. It's been a couple weeks now. Happened out at the, the Philadelphia Zoo. Uh, there was a, a man that had been a white-collar type worker making very good income and got laid off because of COVID like so many people in our country have. And he sort of got desperate for money. And so he was looking through the Help Wanted ads in the newspaper, and he saw a minimum wage job that was available at the Philadelphia Zoo. And so he's like, hey, I just got to suck it up. I mean, I've got to do whatever it's going to take to support my family. And so he goes in, and he sits there for the interview, and the interviewer says to him, well, all right, here, here's what the job is. And I'm not sure how to pronounce this. Uh, there's a, the, the famous gorilla at the, uh, at the zoo is Mutuba or Mutuba. Does anybody know how to pronounce it? Anybody been to Philadelphia Zoo? Anyway, Mutuba, Mutuba, whatever. The gorilla died at the zoo. And this is like the big attraction. Of course, the zoo had gotten shut down and everything for COVID. But now that the zoo was opening back up, this is their number one attraction at the zoo. And they're like, we need number one attraction back. We need a gorilla, but because of COVID restrictions, you can't get a new gorilla shipped in. So the idea that the zoo had was we want to hire you to put on a gorilla outfit <laughs> and pretend to be Matuba. <laughs> and he's like, all right, well, I'm desperate. I need money. If, if this is, you know. And he looked in the costume like look, really looked real. And so he starts wearing this costume and going in. They open up the zoo again, and he's really getting into this. He said he was having so much fun, and he's, you know, swinging around on the vines, and, you know, and, of course, people are coming and taking the pictures and all this kind of stuff. He's, he's like, really into the part until the one day he got a little bit overzealous. He's swinging on one of the vines, and he goes up over the edge of the cage into the lion cage enclosure. All of a sudden, this, like, lion is, like, bearing down on him, and he breaks cover, and he's like, help, help, help. And the lion goes, shut up, you idiot, or we're both going to lose our job. <laughs> All right, I made that up. But I, did I have you go in? Did I have anybody go in there for a second? <laughs> Online, be honest. Did I have you go in? <laughs> By the way, Matuba is still alive and well, and it is the number one attraction at the, at the zoo. But... Um, but 
isn't that how we go through life? And I, I talked about this last week, that so often we're pretending to be somebody that we're not, that we have a mask on. We're pretending to be Matuba, or we're pretending to be the lion. And, and we may be able to fake the crowds out a little bit. But eventually you're going to get caught. But we all wear this mask of, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm great. We wear this, this mask of, oh, yeah, that, that failure, nah, that, that, that didn't bother me. How's your marriage doing? Oh, man, my marriage is fantastic. It's never been better. How you doing financially? Oh, man, we're, 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 doing, we're doing fine. Meanwhile, you're, you're not fine. That failure did bother you. Your marriage isn't doing great. You haven't paid your mortgage in a couple months now. But you keep wearing the mask. You keep wearing the mask thinking, well, this is what people want to hear. And nobody would want to care about me and my life and what I'm going through. And so we just keep it bottled up and we keep it to ourselves. And of course, the biggest thing that we sometimes fake is that question of, how's your relationship with Jesus right now? Oh, it is fantastic, man. I'm in God's Word every day. I'm, I'm praying like I've never prayed before. I'm studying. I'm, I'm just... And the truth is, you haven't been in God's Word. You haven't been in God's house. You haven't been praying. You feel more distance from Jesus than you ever have before. But yet, you don't want to share it. And you remember what happened for the guys there in the mine? As they were there connected together, they were growing spiritually. Why? Because they were together. They were growing spiritually. Why? Because they were confessing their sins one to another. James, the, the brother of Jesus, he says this in James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that what? So that you may be healed. It's in your confession of your sin that you get healed. That's amazing. We've got to do it. Bonhoeffer, the, the great German theologian, said this, that the final breakthrough that groups have into true community occurs not when the group is fellowshipping together as devout believers, but when the group is worshiping and fellowshipping together as confessing sinners. That that is when your group is really to a place of koinonia, that now you're confessing your sins one to another. That's what happened down in the mine. Guys started talking about, I've got an anger issue. I've been abusive. Guys talking about their alcoholism and the adultery that they were committing. Instead of pushing them apart, it actually drew them together. So I put it on your outline this way. Until I am fully known, I can't be fully loved. I say that again. Until I am fully known, I can't be fully loved. How many of you want to be fully loved? In the chat, how many of you want to be fully loved? Yes or no? All of us want to be fully loved, but people can't love you fully unless they fully know you. And so we've got to share every bit of our lives, and that includes even our sin. You can't keep secrets any longer because Satan loves it when we keep secrets because he knows that it hurts your relationship with God and it hurts your relationship with others. So as scary as what it may seem, we've got to confess our sins one to another so that we may be healed. 
Point number four. In koinonia, or in community, I will discover hope. You know, in the, the story of the mine, um, Pastor Jose later recounted, and he said that the favorite story that the miners like for me to share with them, and almost on a daily basis, was the story of Jonah and the whale. Now, why do you think that story resonated with them? Because where was Jonah at? He was in the deep down dark of the, the stomach of the whale. And they were in the deep down dark of the heart of the mountain there in this cave. And it was in that story that these miners, they found hope. That if Jonah could be saved, if Jonah could be rescued, then maybe we can as well. And the more they reminded each other of what God's Word had to say, the more it gave them hope. You see, the, the more you give God's Word, the more you give hope to other people, guess what? That in turn now gives you hope. A lot of times we're looking for somebody to come give us hope. But what I'm saying is you start to give hope to other people. You start to tell people about the goodness of God, how great our God is, what Jesus has done for all of us. You start to tell those stories. And as you tell those stories of hope, you in turn get the hope that you so desperately want. Now, I said earlier we would come back to Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, but let me read it to you once more. The writer here says, let us be concerned for one another and help one another to show love and to do good. We should not stop gathering together with other believers as some of you are doing. Instead, we must continue to encourage each other even more so as we see what? Even more so as we see the day approaching. Now, notice that's capital T, capital D. As you see the day approaching. It's in the day that we have hope. Now, what the world traffics in is maybes. That you know, maybe the economy will turn around and then things will be better. Maybe COVID's just going to magically disappear and we'll get better. You know, um, uh, maybe, you know, after the election is done, things will go back to sort of a little bit more of normal. That's what the world likes to talk about is maybes. But as Christians, we talk about hope. In fact, an assured hope. To the, to the world, the day, if we ask them, uh, they wouldn't have a clue. Now, to the, to the people that was reading this, the, the original readers, of the writer of Hebrews here, the day would have been very, very obvious what that means. It's not so obvious to us. And again, to the world, it's not obvious. If you ask the world right now, well, what is the day that you're looking forward to? They go, Friday, 4 p.m. Why? Because as the song went, everybody's working for the weekend. Everybody's living for, for Friday. Get done so that we can have the weekend. Be done. In fact, our society is so, <laughs> so enamored with that that we even have a restaurant chain that talks about, thank God it's Friday. TGIF, thank God it's Friday. Because now we can really start to live. And so I'm just hoping to make it through the week. So I can get to Friday at closing time and party all weekend long. So that's what they would say the, the day is. Or some people say, well, no, 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 that's, 
That's a little bit too temporary. No, I'm living for a day that's an event. So you have kids in school, and kids in school are always going, man, I just can't wait to the day I graduate because then I'm an adult and I can do whatever I want. And so kids, they're living for the day, graduation. And then they get to graduation, and they get a job, and then they're in the real world. And everybody then, once you're in the real world, there's another day you start to look forward to, and it's called what? Yeah, see, you guys know. <laughs> it's called retirement, and so you're living for that day. But that isn't what we should be living for graduation or to retire. That's not who we are as followers of Jesus. 2,000 years ago, a, a group of guys that began to meet together, this, this guy, and he taught like nobody had ever heard teaching of Scripture before. And they started to do life deeply together. But then one day, the Romans nailed the skinny guy to a cross, and they buried him in a tomb. But way up above, where nobody could see, a rescue effort had begun. Jesus was buried in the deep, down, dark of the tomb. But up above, the Father and the Spirit were starting a rescue effort that three days later came to pass. That they broke through that tomb and Jesus walked out alive. He was resurrected. On that day, he defeated death. And it's because of his resurrection it's because of who Jesus is that one day, another day is coming, a day where our bodies will be resurrected. And that's the day that the writer here in Hebrews is talking about, the day that once and for all, sin and sickness and disease and death and even hell itself has been defeated on our behalf. That as we sang about earlier, we're no longer a slave to our sin anymore. And so our hope isn't in human circumstances. Things like, well, I, I hope she says yes when I ask her to, to marry me. Or things like, I, I hope that college accepts me when I put in my application. Our hope isn't in the employer who might hire us. Or that our house may appreciate and value. Or, or that my 401k goes up. Our hope isn't in a whale spitting us up onto the seashore or a drill finally getting down to us in the cave. Now, our hope is in the skinny guy on the cross, Jesus. That's our hope. Because when we put our hope and trust in him and in his resurrection, we have that guarantee that one day our bodies are going to be resurrected to live forever with him again. That's the day. That's our hope. Now, in the meantime, the writer here says, while we're waiting on that day, don't neglect meeting together. Don't neglect coming together as a body 
called the church, the ecclesia, that, that assembly, that movement of people that are telling more and more people about Jesus and helping them to become like Jesus. Don't neglect that. Continue to, to come together in that way. So we, we can't neglect that. 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, either you need to be live here with us in the building or you need to be live with us online. That is part of being a part of Exponential Church. Don't neglect doing that. Don't neglect then getting together in those little smaller groups. Again, we call them life groups. Three, six, eight, ten people. Now you are truly experiencing koinonia. Love one another, pray for one another, serve one another, confess your sins one to another. The list goes on and on. There's 58 one another's just in the New Testament alone that you're supposed to be doing with your group. You can't do that in isolation. We need one another. So again, for some of you, you feel comfortable being out and about amongst people, then start to get together with people in people's homes. Start opening up God's Word together, praying together, doing all the other things that we talked about. If you can't do that, start a Zoom, Zoom group. Those of you online, start a Zoom group. Just talk with one another, pray with one another, serve one another in any way that you can. And then finally, Jesus doesn't want us to neglect sharing a, a meal together. And that meal is Communion. And I shared with you last week that the word communion actually comes from koinonia. And so we're going to share that together here this morning. And so for those of you that are with us, you were given little single-serve uh, communion elements. And those of you online, hopefully you were able to grab something to be able to join us in doing this. And so I just want to remind you that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before his crucifixion, he was gathered together with his little life group. And that group, he, he first, he got down and he washed their feet and he said, look guys, I, I didn't come to be served, I, I came to serve you guys. And he, he washes their, their feet and then during the meal, he, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, I want you to take and eat. He says, this is my body which is broken for you. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And what he was signifying to them was, look, guys, in just a couple hours, my body is going to be broken on the cross for you. I'm going to be spit upon. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be whipped. I'm going to be nailed to a cross. I'm going to have a spear thrust into my side. And I'm doing that for you. And so today, as we take the bread together, I want you to be reminded that since Jesus gave his body for you, our only acceptable response then is to give our bodies back fully to him. In every way and in every circumstance and situation, what we think, what we do, what we say needs to go back to him. Because again, he gave up his life for us. So let's take the bread together here this morning.
after the supper was done, Jesus took the cup and he poured out the wine. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant, they had been saved by the sacrifice of goats and lambs and bulls and all kinds of different animals. But Jesus had come to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world forever. But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so Jesus was saying, look, guys, I'm going to pour out my blood once and for all. That my blood is what's going to cover over your sin. That you will now be forgiven. You can have a a relationship with me forever. A relationship with the Father and the Spirit forever in this real place called heaven. That's what Jesus does for us on the cross. He sheds his blood for you, for you, for every single one of us. But this morning as we take the cup together, I want you to be reminded that, yes, his blood covers over your sin, and you have the assurance of eternal life. But I also want you to be reminded that there are people in our society right now that are trapped in the deep down dark of isolation because of COVID. And they have no hope. And they feel stuck in their sin. And your job as a follower of Jesus is to share hope, to share the blood with them. That Jesus died for you. Jesus wants to give you life, not just here and now, but forever. And so let's take the cup this morning with gratitude of what he's done for us, but as a reminder of the commission we've been given to go and share this good news with others. So let's take the cup together. And join me in prayer. Father, we do thank you for what this bread and juice represent, your body and your blood, broken and shed for us as a reminder of everything that you did for us and as a reminder of what we now get to do for others, and that is to tell the good news of who you are and all you've done. So, Lord, thank you for loving us so much that you died for us, And thank you for loving us enough that you trust us with your gospel message of hope. So help us to have the boldness and the courage to go out and share that with anybody and everybody that we can. And help us to be reminded that we're actually better when we do that together. When we have other people in our lives who are helping us wrestle through the messiness of our own lives. and Help us to wrestle through their own messiness. We talked about last week, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his brother is there to help him up. But pity the man who falls but has no one to help him up. Lord, help us to be that for one another. Help us to be the the church that you've called us to be, to, to not neglect the assembling together of ourselves, to meet together in these smaller groups where we do provide life to one another, speak life into one another's lives. Lord, that's, that's what it's all about. So help us to reset our minds, to reset our thinking and realize it's just about relationships, a relationship with you where nothing is hidden, a relationship with one another where nothing is hidden as well. Help us to experience koinonia as a church body like we never have 
before. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.